there's a saying, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. I don't know if you've heard it or not. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, the house we lived in at Blacktown had been renovated by the previous owner who was a handyman, uh, or so he thought, and uh, he had a little knowledge, but a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Uh, like the telephone wiring. He uh, fancied himself as an amateur electrician and he'd wired up a couple of extra phone sockets, except they never actually worked properly. A little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Then there was the second bathroom that he'd tiled himself, but there was no fall in the shower and so everything was supposed to fall to the hole in the middle, except it all just pooled in one corner. And he'd put a pine ceiling into the bathroom, which looked nice, except he'd actually boarded up the manhole cover. So, the only way to get into the ceiling was to take off tiles from the roof and sort of climb in that way. A little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Uh, he'd added a laundry down the back yard, the back of the garage, and he'd put a new circuit board in for the laundry and the pool, but there wasn't enough power to the circuit board and so every time the washing machine and the pool pump were on at the same time, well, that sort of triggered the circuit breaker and everything stopped. A little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. And that's basically Paul's message to the Corinthian church here. Knowledge used wisely is a valuable thing. But if you use your knowledge poorly, it's useless. In fact, it's actually worse than useless. Even if it's true, it's dangerous because it can cause other Christians to stumble. A little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. So what was going on with the Corinthians? They'd asked a question about food sacrificed to idols. That was a question that was almost impossible to get away from. In Corinth and in lots of other Greek cities, the pagan temple wasn't just part of life, it it was almost the whole of life was centred around the pagan temple. Any meat that you bought in a marketplace had come from the temple. It had first been offered to idols and then sold. There was no way to avoid it. And it even seems like there were rooms connected to the temples where the meat was prepared and served if uh, probably as part of the religious worship that you ate after you had uh, worshipped. So when the Corinthians had become Christians, wherever they went, whatever meetings they had, whatever meals they had, they had to deal with this question. This meat's been offered to idols, what do I do? Do I eat or not? Maybe I just need to pack a whole bunch of carrot sticks wherever I go. One of the groups thought, well, it's been offered to idols, it's unclean. Uh, Whenever I eat it, I may as well be bowing down to the pagan gods again. And I can't actually eat it without thinking about how I used to worship the idols as well. So it's better if I just don't eat. But the other group thought, come on, we've been set free from all that stuff. An idol's actually nothing, it's just a lump of wood. You're not actually worshipping it when you eat. Uh, And uh, eating and drinking, there's nothing good or bad about the food that you eat. So just eat up. Uh, We've got the two groups, let's call them the dieters and the eaters. And uh, so they wrote to Paul and they said in verse 1, what about food sacrificed to idols? Uh, And so Paul writes back, but it seems like he immediately goes off on a tangent rather than answering their question. What he's really doing in the first few verses is is to lay the platform to set the the foundation for what he's going to say, what he's going to teach. And he does it by talking about knowledge to begin with. Uh, Verse 1, he says, "We uh, We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. He's talking about incomplete knowledge, which is really all knowledge, isn't it? There's no complete knowledge. All knowledge is incomplete. Uh, And he's saying uh, knowledge that's incomplete, that's not used in the right way, actually puffs up. It makes you proud. Uh, When you focus on what you know, rather than than on how to use your knowledge, it, it, it puffs you up, it makes you proud, it doesn't do you any good at all. I remember when I first started lecturing, I, you know, I had this uh, complex that you know, I was an imposter and what was I doing lecturing people and I wanted to put in as much information to the lectures and so I had you know, 20 pages for a three-hour lecture and it was about getting across all this knowledge. But the more I taught that same course, I noticed the, the, the number of pages simplified, you know, got less and I tried to simplify things and make, made sure what I what I delivered was actually received rather than just bombarding uh, the students. Uh, Knowledge is no good if people don't actually receive it, if they're not understanding it. I think probably when I began I was more concerned with what the students thought of me than I was about whether they were learning or not. Knowledge puffs up but love builds up. The right way to use any knowledge that we have is in love towards other people. Uh, knowledge used that way will encourage and support. Knowledge by itself is only about you, whereas love is about others. Knowledge makes you feel important, love makes other people feel important. Uh, Perhaps you can think of chapter 13, a few chapters further on that says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. So knowledge without love makes you nothing at all. You can see that Paul's talking about incomplete knowledge or or just a small part of knowledge from verse 2 where he says anyone who thinks he knows something doesn't really know as he should know. In other words, to really know something is to know that you don't know much at all, really. (laughs) Diego was just telling me before he's finished his study now and he now thinks he knows less than he did at the beginning. He realises how much more there is to know, I guess is what he's really saying. Uh, The more you know, the more perspective you have. Uh, Perhaps you've seen the meme that says, hire a teenager while they think they know everything. Uh, And that's about right. That's Paul describing the Corinthians. They thought they knew more than they actually did. Uh, A lot of us have the experience of when we begin something, when we're younger perhaps, we have pretty firm opinions. Yes, that's definitely black, that's definitely white. But as we grow and our perspective grows, we realise things are more complicated, that there's more grey and less black and white. The more you know, the more you realise how much more there is to know. That's what Paul's getting at in verse 2. And then in verse 3, I think what he's saying is there's something, there's a knowledge that's a whole lot more important than the amount of information in your head. Uh, The really important thing is life is who you are known by, uh, whether you love God, whether you're his child. Uh, And that's more important than what you know. Verse 3, the man who loves God is known by God. That's the sort of knowledge that really counts. Well, that's the foundation, a little introduction 
to do with knowledge and love. And then from verse 4, Paul finally comes back to the question and he lays it out but bases it on that foundation. How love is what counts more than knowledge. Verse 4. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know, there's the knowledge, that an idol is nothing at all in the world. That there is no God but one. But even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yes, you're right, he's saying to those who eat, uh, there is only one God. Idols are nothing. Uh, The gods and the lords that other people worship, well, they're just lumps of wood or metal. That knowledge, you've got it right. There is one God. There's one Father, one Lord, Jesus. Yes, you've got that knowledge right as well. But here's the grey. There's more to it than what you think you know. Knowledge puffs you up, but love builds you up. You need to think about the others. You need to think about the dieters. Verse 7. Not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. I think what he's getting at is this. The temple had been such a huge part of their life that they couldn't actually separate the food from the actual sacrifice. It may just be dinner to the other group, but for the dieters it was actually still a religious experience. And so by eating, that was idolatry. They might as well be worshipping those idols and so they couldn't eat. Notice that Paul doesn't say there's anything wrong with that. Uh, For them, for that group, that's the right decision not to eat because they're sinning or being tempted to sin at least if they go ahead and eat. Eating the food doesn't make the eaters any better, doesn't make them any more liberated or any more holy and not eating doesn't make the dieters any worse. That's what he says in verse 8. Food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse if we don't eat, no better if we do. So what's the problem? If both groups are right, whether they eat or whether they don't eat, if they're both right, why all the fuss? Well, Paul says, verse 9, the eaters are using their knowledge to trip up their brothers. Be careful, he says, how, uh, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. These eaters were flaunting their knowledge. There's nothing wrong with food, it doesn't matter who sees me, I've got the freedom, I've got the right to eat. Uh, They were focusing more on their rights than their responsibilities. But the problem was the dieters would see them eating and so they'd be encouraged to go to the temples and eat as well. And so they were tempted or tripped up or led into sin by this other group. True knowledge was actually destroying the dieters, even though it was right. They weren't using that knowledge in love. They weren't considering their weaker brother. And so it was actually the action of the eaters that was sin because they weren't loving. It's what they were failing to do. Instead, what they should have done was to give up 
give up their rights rather than trip up, trip up their brothers. Uh, Paul gives the example in verse 13, if it caused a brother to sin, Paul would just give up meat forever. Verse 13, therefore if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again. Doesn't mean much at all to Paul. He'd do it without a second thought. It's not that important to risk leading a brother into sin. Love is willing to give up rather than trip up. So Paul's message to the Corinthian church, if we're going to summarise this whole chapter, is don't get swept up in knowledge. Knowledge, a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Use the knowledge you have toward your Christian brother or sister in love. That's what really counts. Well, that's the chapter in summary. Uh, What about us? What does it all that mean for us? It's not really an easy question because the situation at Corinth isn't what we face here in Sydney. We don't really have the problem of pagan temples that are intruding on our, our, our culture and our lifestyle. We don't have the problem of deciding whether to eat meat that's been offered to idols. But I, uh, I believe Paul has given us a number of principles that we can apply to the way we treat each other. Now, the first principle, knowledge is not as important as being known by God. Knowledge isn't as important as being known by God. There's a whole lot of practical commands but none of those things matter if we're not beginning with knowing God and being known by him. Uh, Do you know that? Are you known by God? That's what really counts. And don't confuse knowing about God with knowing God either and loving him. In lots of ways it's easier to learn things. The Christian faith is a learning faith but we don't end with the learning. Uh, The real riches of the Christian life come as we live with God, as we spend time with him, as we walk through our day with God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And the tools for that, the way we do that is to learn about him, but uh, we're not to mistake growing in knowledge with maturity as a Christian. Uh, Understanding more of God and our own sinfulness uh, and the grace God's shown us. We need to grow in our knowledge of God. Uh, it's, a, it's a trap that's a bit of an occupational hazard for me or, or for theological students, the temptation to, to study the Bible every day, to, to learn facts and assume that that means we're growing in godliness, that we're growing more in our knowledge of God. We can learn more about him, but are we learning more of him and growing in our love towards him? Uh, When we read, are we reading to learn of God or to learn facts about him? Uh, Do we want to see more of God or do we just want to learn more stuff? Well, knowing and loving God is more important than knowing about him. A second application, I think, from this passage is the comparison that love puffs up but, sorry, uh, knowledge puffs up but love builds up. Uh, The goal of the Christian life isn't knowledge. Uh, There's no point growing in knowledge if we are not growing in how we use that. Uh, Paul says that when we have real knowledge we're building people up, we're building others up in love. So let me ask you, what do you do with the knowledge that you have? Uh, Look for opportunities to build people up, to use what you have. 
It may be Bible knowledge, but there's all sorts of other knowledge, isn't there? Other ways that God has given us things that we can share with others uh, in love. Uh, is it financial or handyman, uh, handyman knowledge or life or professional or some sort of training uh, that you can contribute in love to others in the church? Uh, knowledge is less important than love. Knowledge has to be rightly applied. Uh, knowledge in a, is uh, used incorrectly is like a hammer that a blind man uses. He'll occasionally hit the nail on the head but he'll do a lot of damage in the meantime. We need to use our knowledge in love. Lots of Christians know lots of stuff about God but they're also not that great at loving those around them. Uh, They're not gentle, they're proud. Uh, They say they're defending the truth but there's no love in how they talk to people. Paul would say, speak the truth in love. Third uh, thing we could learn from this passage, I think, is we need to be careful of tripping up other Christians. That's probably the most obvious uh, application. We need to be careful of tripping up other Christians. There are lots of things that are theoretically okay for Christians to do, but they can be sinful depending on how you do them, what your motives are if you do them in the wrong way. One that's commonly brought up, we talked about this one at uh, home group on Tuesday night, was uh, drinking alcohol. It's not forbidden for Christians to drink, but it is wrong to get drunk. It's wrong to be controlled by anything. Uh, And it's possible that if I drink, I might be encouraging a weaker brother to drink too much and might be leading him into sin. Or perhaps you might uh, think... It's a similar example, going to a registered club or a pub or a nightclub or something like that, different Christian circles that you move in. Uh, People would say that that's a wrong thing to do and can lead you to sin. Uh, I guess there's nothing wrong with the action of those things uh, itself, but uh, Christians can sin if they go in with an attitude of greed or drunkenness uh, or some other sinful action. And so if my freedom to do that is leading another brother to sin, I should not do it. Uh, Here's one that I think is perhaps a little closer to the actual situation of uh, religion and and culture. uh, Some of us have come from other cultures, other religions, and there are things in those cultures uh, that are perhaps not wrong but are still connected to their old way of life. Uh, and to the old religion and uh, that is encouraging people towards those old ways of uh, doing things. Perhaps it's yoga or martial arts. Maybe there are Aboriginal Christians around who have certain ceremonies and we think they're harmless but those ceremonies for them are are quite connected with with, uh, spiritual things and so you're leading them uh, to sin by encouraging or by being involved in those sorts of things It may cause our brothers to stumble if we're involved in them. But I guess even just more generally, we all come from different backgrounds and we each have different weaknesses and different struggles. We might be fine to do a certain action or to be in a certain place or to watch a certain thing, but those around us may not. So we need to be thoughtful about how we use our freedom and our rights when it comes to the people Uh, we are living with in church, our church family. 
We need to do all we can to not put stumbling blocks in front of people. We're all mutually responsible for each other. Knowledge is important, but it's got to be used with love to build people rather than trip them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, here's some knowledge we need to make sure we use and work with. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, kind, does not envy, boast, is not proud. It's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's a wonderful description of love. Perhaps the slightly discouraging thing is Paul felt he had to explain to the Corinthian church what does love look like. Maybe they didn't really know, but it is a wonderful description for us and one that we could spend plenty of time thinking through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to love like this description. Help us uh, with the, the knowledge that we have to use that well, uh, to consider the responsibilities we have towards others, that we may not lead them into temptation. We thank you for the great freedom that we have in the Gospel, uh, that you have set us free from law-keeping. Uh, but we thank you too for the responsibility we have towards each other. Uh, we pray that you would help us uh, to build each other up so that we might all grow into maturity in Christ. Amen.